0: Escucha, Listen, aprende learn, y emprende.
1: Launch.
2: Bienvenidos al episodio 129 de Latino Founder Hour. Los saluda Edgar Navas, fundador de Clica. Eh, hoy estoy encantado de tener a un amigo nuevo, este a Marcos González, fundador de Vamos Ventures desde Los Ángeles. Marcos, bienvenido y antes que nada, salud. Salud, caballero. Estamos brindando con un tequila virtualmente, ahora que nos podemos ver aquí por este, por la computadora. Y Marcos, pues bueno. ¿Pero no eh, le tomaste? Eh, ah, sí, cierto. Es que es que tenía que hablar. Pero Y con efectos especiales ah, <risa> para <risa> que todo el mundo eh, este segmento Se es imagine. patrocinado por Tequilo Maestro. Tequila, maestro. Marcos, pues bienvenido al show. Este, No tuvimos la oportunidad de conocernos en marzo, abril, debido a a la pandemia. Marcos, les les cuento, eh, es un inversionista que iba a venir a a Portland a un festival que se llama TechFest Northwest. Iba a ser un panelista y juez en el el show que tenemos cada año de Pitch Latino. Y desafortunadamente, pues bueno, ya todos conocemos qué pasó en, en marzo. No nos pudimos conocer en persona, pero bueno, aquí estamos finalmente después de unos meses y, y bueno, sobreviviendo ahora el apocalipsis ¿no? de, de, de los incendios, eh, plagas mm-hmm. mortales y, y lo que venga después. Mm-hmm. Pero pues te damos la bienvenida, Marcos. ¿Cómo estás?
1: Gracias, Edgar. Muy bien, muy bien. Gracias. Este, sí, lástima que no nos conocimos allá en Portland este, hace unos meses, pero, pero va, a haber, va a haber una oportunidad, yo creo que próximamente, este, para fin del año o el año que entra y este yo creo que nos va a ir muy bien allá en Oregon eh, conociéndote a ti y este y varias otras personas yo creo que hay mucho que hacer allí
2: bueno aquí en, en todos lados no que no, con el ecosistema de startups. pero cuéntanos un poco eh, quién es Marcos de dónde viene este ca- claro. cuál ha sido tu carrera no
1: bueno pues es, es una es una historia media larga entonces este, no 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 te <risa> historia, porque si no estamos aquí par de horas o, o más. Eh, eh, fíjate que yo soy de Los Ángeles. Yo nací en Los Ángeles, mi okay. papá son mexicanos. Y, y a propósito, ¿lo hacemos en español o en inglés o cómo
2: cómo ves? No, como tú quieras. Si quieres Spanglish. Okay. Voy, ¿sí? voy a entrar al inglés y al español, entonces de repente. En Spanglish, sí. Perfecto. Perfecto. Yo
1: nací aquí en Los Ángeles. Mis papás son mexicanos. Mi papá es de la Ciudad de México mi mamá de un pueblo en Jalisco, que se llama Tío Caltiche. Llegaron a los Estados Unidos, se conocieron aquí. Mis hermanos, mi hermana y yo nacimos aquí en Los Ángeles. Eh, y, y tuvimos una pues este, una vida de familia muy típica aquí en Los Ángeles, en un barrio mexicano. Eh, el idioma primero fue español. Eh, cuando entré a la, a la escuela primaria, pues no, no hablaba inglés, y, pero bueno, aprendiendo. Pero a pesar de eso, siempre estábamos enfocados en lo que es la educación. Ok. Y después, pues, estudiaron un poco, pero como la mayoría de los mexicanos que vinieron a los Estados Unidos y siguen viniendo, pues eh, vienen buscando una vida pues mejor, mm. ¿no? Este y vienen con este con metas económicas eh, que no se pueden lograr en México por varias razones, ¿no? Que ya sabemos. Entonces, a pesar de eso, muy enfocados y apoyándonos en lo que es la carrera academia. Y, y después de, de la secundaria y high school y todo eso, me fui a la escuela a, a una universidad en Providence, Rhode Island, que, okay. que no, es muy, este, no es un estado ni una ciudad muy latina, aunque va aumentando ahí la, la población dominicana y portuguesa, eh, pero fui a la escuela que se llama Brown University. Y sí y comencé la carrera ahí de, en el este de los Estados Unidos fíjate que yo no conocía Providence no conocía Rhode Island y me aceptaron decidí y vámonos y este y, y me fui así nomás sin eh, sin saber qué onda o con quién o dónde o, o cómo sí, eh, sí, sí. En esos días obviamente pues no existían este los celulares no ni, existían, ni el internet nada nada de eso entonces uno se va lo mandan lo sacan etcétera y te quedas ahí o te quedas ahí y este y a luchar y a pelear y todo eso no entonces este, fueron unos días muy interesantes para mí entre los latinos eh, de los Estados Unidos como yo eh, no había muchos yo, yo diría que había como unos 10 en, en la generación entrante ahí de, de Brown en esos años en los 80 ha aumentado muchísimo desde entonces hasta ahora pero en esos días pues había muy pocos Eh, entonces fue una, una batalla interesante no tanto para mí no fue tanta eh, la batalla no fue tanta este académica pero más que nada eh, social
2: cultural social
1: cultural igual eh, uh-huh. emocional inclusive este, eh, entonces bueno estuve ahí cuatro años estudiando este, ciencias políticas yo pensaba que iba a ser abogado no bueno primero doctor cambié eso a abogados y salí, dije bueno voy a trabajar en una, un despacho de derecho a ver qué onda, a ver si me gusta realmente o no y trabajé tres meses en un despacho en Los Ángeles y no la verdad que no me gustó. Entonces, dijo
2: esto no esto, esto no, es no, para no, mí. No, no es
1: para mí y aparte aparte yo vi mucho latino y, y principalmente mexicano americano eh, que si estaba se estaba recibiendo de la universidad y se iba a la, a la escuela de derecho Y, y vi muchos abogados que iban entrando y saliendo y, y muy bien. Y, y es una cosa muy importante y necesaria, no tener gente y parte del pueblo en ese claro. ambiente. Pero también lo vi yo y dije, oye, pues yo quiero hacer algo diferente. Eh, y, y yo creo que debe haber una manera de apoyar el, la comunidad y, y, este y apoyar la comunidad afuera de eso. Entonces, ¿cuáles son las opciones? Eh, derecho, medicina, Eh, Social Work, maestro, profesor, Mm. todo todo lo que sabemos, pero tiene que haber otra cosa. Bueno, entonces conseguí un trabajo con IBM, IBM, Big Blue, y, y con IBM en Los Ángeles, y en esos momentos dije, ¿sabes qué? Yo creo que a través de negocio, Debe de haber una manera de, de apoyar a la comunidad. Y después de tres años y medio más o menos me aceptaron a la maestría de MBA en, en Harvard, mm. en Boston. Entonces, cuando me aceptaron, eh, de un día al otro renuncié a mi trabajo, me fui a México y me convertí en un estudiante oyente en, en Guanajuato. Y este, oh, wow. Es este, historia mexicana y arte mexicano y, y pasearme por todo México. Esto fue okay. una vida muy interesante, muy alegre eh, y, y fui descubriendo a México de una manera distinta, porque cuando uno es chico se va con los papás y la familia claro. es es un es un rol y cuando uno va solo y ya de este <risa> y tiene algo sí, de sí, dinero sí, sí. y hace amigos y amigas pues ya es algo
2: ya. Muy ya es otra liga claro
1: así, así es y luego después de eso regresé a los Estados Unidos en eh, oh. Boston estudié en HBS eh, the business school eh, y saliendo de ahí este es cuando comenzó mi realmente comenzó la carrera profesional que podemos
2: uh-huh. ver en eso en un, en un segundito sí sí sí, bueno, pues sí porque es algo lo que quería entrar, ¿no fuiste a escuelas? O sea, mucha gente a lo mejor no conoce Brown, que es una escuela de élite, ¿no? Es, eh, eh, Es una de las mejores escuelas de liberal arts en todo Estados Unidos. Es una escuela pequeña sí. y como tú dices sí. en un estado que es así chiquitititititito, ¿no? Sí. and parpadeas y lo pasaste porque yo he pasado por ahí. Ya, sí, no it's true. It's, it's absolutely true. Te estás alejando y ya te pasaste. Welcome to Rhode Island and live in Rhode Island. Come y, back again, yeah, exactly. Sí, no,
1: you know, I think Providence and Rhode Island is a state that's very overlooked. It's actually a beautiful state. The coastline is beautiful. Um, Providence is an interesting city uh, from many perspectives. Historical political economic uh, social history of Providence in that part of New England it's actually very interesting uh, for the economic development of the, of the country so you have like gold mills there and, and uh, other um, you know centers of production that were very uh, mm-hmm. pivotal at certain moments in our economic development
2: the history yeah
1: yeah, okay. and um, but but also it's uh, you know sailing, it's a sailing you know it's a sailing you know state sailing city Newport Rhode Island's down the street you know maybe not so much down the street but nearby and Bristol and a few other places that are very beautiful uh, so yeah. I got to really enjoy it and uh, and like it a lot.
2: But but like you said, you know, not not a very diverse town. You know, um, it back was, then or maybe now, it,
1: it, it, very white ethnic, a very white ethnic. Uh, city and state. So Italian-Americans, Irish-Americans, okay. Portuguese-Americans, uh, you know, that's that's kind of what, you know, the mayors, the governors, all, you know, Italian-Americans. Uh, but over time, you saw a change and you saw various groups kind of really, uh, you know, living in their little like uh, barrios that eventually... Mm-hmm. Started to you know, grow up, so to speak. Okay. Uh, of course, the Portuguese, but also Dominicans. Uh, the
2: Dominicans, yeah,
1: in, in Providence, and also Cape Verdeans. A lot of Cape Verdeans that are uh, make their home in in Providence, and so they speak Portuguese, Brazilian. You know, I'm you know, Portuguese colony, and. Um, mm-hmm. But it's very, you know, very unique. You don't see Cape Verdeans all over the country, you know, but you see them Just there. Just right there, yeah. Yeah, so it's very interesting. Um, anyway, today you have, in the political landscape and in business, it's much more diverse. And you see that the Latino community is really becoming more a part of the day-to-day fabric of Providence and of, of Rhode Island. Just like you see it yeah. in other places, too, uh, in Massachusetts as well. We,
2: we even see it here in Oregon. Yeah, yeah. The 20 like 10, twenty years ago, thirty years ago it was just like, you know, very vanilla, yeah. plant, and yeah. now it's just I, getting you know more represented Yeah, yeah I
1: think Oregon and uh, you know Portland and places like Providence and Boston and other parts of New England, they're they're like Los Angeles, maybe twenty five years ago, and I don't mean from a sophistication standpoint. I mean, I mean more from a for a Latino kind of. Um, integration standpoint, leadership positions, senior leadership. Yes. In Los Angeles, you know, 30 years ago, when I was an intern here at in City Hall that I can see out my window, uh, I was an intern for the first Latino elected to the LA City Council since 1962. The, the first and only Latino in City Council. Today, you know, there's 15 members, I think, and you know, 10 yeah. of Latinos, Latinos, the yeah. mayor,
2: you know, we Mayor yeah. <laughs> uh, you know we had uh, you know the but funny you mentioned listen to this and it, we literally just elected the first latino uh, uh, council person in portland
1: yeah that's
2: so, well, so, right what, no oh my gosh uh, uh, carmen, a, rubio, carmen rubio uh, uh, okay rubio because you yeah, know the po- portland the city of portland uh okay. council person yeah uh, mm. Shout out to Carmen Rubio. Um, but, you know, we have uh, two representatives in, in the states and uh, no, not Senate, in the chamber of representatives. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, a little bit. But, you, you know, what we're seeing, exactly what you're saying, like people coming in and, and just running for office. We, we got a um, uh, representative Gonzalez doing in Metro, which is, you know, an interagency that oversees not only mm-hmm. Portland, but several, several of the suburbs. So, yeah, we, again. Yeah. No, it's 30 years ago. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know, this, this person you mentioned Rubio uh, you know, we've had very early Latino political leaders here in the Los Angeles area, like uh, Roy ball, for example. And in those days, there were few and, and you know, numbered mm-hmm. um, today. There are so many Latino Latinas that have elected office here, whether it's city, County, state legislature, you know, Congress. And now it's very common, but, but it had to start somewhere.
2: It had to start with one.
1: Yeah, exactly. Always. Yeah, just, yeah. Like the, just like the academic world. Mm-hmm. Academic world, same thing. Political world, same thing. The legal world. Now you see senior partners here uh, at the you know local law firms that are national or international, the Latham Watkins of the world. And, and they now include Latinos and Latinas. Mm-hmm. Uh, 20 years ago, they didn't. Uh, you have consulting firms, BCG. I, I worked at BCG for a number of years. There were no US Latinos uh, working at wow. BCG. Now you have partners who are like you and me, you know, uh, of you know Latino background, Mexican background that are now, you know, senior people at BCG or McKinsey. So so every industry has to go through this evolution. Mm-hmm. Some are a little bit traditional entryways, police, politics, schools, you know, these things. Eventually, you get to legal, you know, yes. and maybe some business, corporate America, you know, da,
2: da, da, You know, that's you how you see level. Yeah.
1: Yes. E- eventually, you know, you get to other areas that are a little bit more opaque. And I always say that if you want to work at Bank of America, mm-hmm. you got on site on the website you're going to see when they're recruiting you you can find out who the recruiters are they have job postings everywhere you get to meet people there they help you out and they need to do it they're a publicly traded company and they need to serve the community but but when you want to get a job in venture capital it's very different right there's very few vcs that will post jobs anywhere yeah (laughs) because that's not how they do it so we see this evolution of the integration of latinos and latinas in various industries which is great and i always tell them friends when we're having a drink and talking, that it's a matter of time when, you know, we're going to see, you know, in every industry, at the most senior levels, Latinos and Latinas. And um, uh, and I think that's going to happen. The, the areas that are a little harder are the more, uh, the areas that have been, that have used, uh, I don't want to say, uh, let's say hurdles,
2: mm-hmm.
1: fictitious hurdles that they use as a proxy to evaluate and underwrite uh, abilities and skills. So when you wanna work at a very high-end uh, consulting firm or bank or private equity fund or hedge fund, um, you're probably not gonna get an opportunity there if you're just another kid that went to UCLA or Cal State LA.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, that, no offense to UCLA, I love this, um, or Cal State LA, but. You know, when you look at Goldman, when you look at McKinsey, when you look at, you know, BCG's of the world, um, you know, or, or private equity fund, they're not recruiting at UCLA. You know, they're, they're not recruiting at USC. They're not recruiting at uh, Cal even. Um, so where are they recruiting? Well, they're recruiting at Harvard.
2: And they're Harvard, yeah.
1: And they're, at, and they're recruiting at Stanford. And so what happens is that, you know, they'll say, look, are we really going to waste our time? going down to UCLA, no. We're gonna go to these schools that we have always gone to, that we graduated from, and we know that they vetted these kids, so they must be good, and uh, they're there, they must come from the right families, and um, you know, we're gonna get along well. So let's just keep doing that. So there's, you know, it's, that's why the, those areas, those industries have been really hard to, to integrate and to, and to get into and to kind of rise the ranks. Um, but but I see that changing too. So in, in private equity, when when I graduated from business school, I worked at BCG for several years. After that, I went to private equity. And in those days, there were very few US Latinos doing private equity. There were some for sure. And there's some still that are doing it that are real leaders in that area. Um, but today, there's many more, many more than, than back then. It's a natural evolution. Venture capital is where private equity was. I'd say also twenty years ago, uh, where you had, okay. you know, half a dozen to a dozen real leaders and you know folks that are going to you know uh, do some interesting work, and a lot of younger people that are coming up and learning. Um, and I think the next uh, ten years it's going to be a very different ballgame. Uh, you're going to see a lot more diverse folks, and in particular Latinos and Latinas, U.S. Latinos. Yeah uh doing work in the private equity. And not just with emerging funds or impact funds or diverse manager funds, but but just in general in the marketplace.
2: So Absolutely. it's
1: gonna be it's gonna be an exciting time, I think.
2: No, and, and, and you know, funny you mentioned just a couple of weeks ago we had uh uh Andrés Garcia Maya. But, you know, I think it's a former uh, Morgan Stanley, you know, fantastic story. You know, now startup founder slash investor with his three uh, two other successful brothers, and, yeah. and it was exactly that story. It's like you know, I don't see anyone but you know like myself. Hard to yeah. you know breach a ceiling, uh, but it, it, it is doable. And why aren't we you know in those positions? So that that was the sure. question. You know, why are we getting you know held held back? Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and that's what leads me to to your stories. Like so you, you you know you went back in from school, uh, career professional, BCG Boston Consulting Group. Uh you, you founded a company and exited a successful company in the early dot com, you know, early internet, uh and, and then now, you know, venture capitalist, one of the very few Latino venture capitals that is, you know, focusing its efforts not only um but in changing, you know, how the VC world works, but you know, you know, making an um, an impact in our community? You
1: know, uh, Edgar, uh, everybody's different, and uh, we all have our own journey. And sometimes the guy or the gal that doesn't care too much about the community but only cares about him or herself ends up being a, an amazing contributor. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's the reverse. Uh, you, you just don't know how things will work out. But I have always felt a connection to the Latino community, obviously growing up in Los Angeles to the Mexican-American community. Mm-hmm. But of course yeah a uh, neighborhood uh where we grew up the complete clarity and understanding that i was part of that community and yeah. uh for good or bad and uh and also a sense of you know obligation and um uh, you know for you know for for the community and and ultimately you know even now it's not just the community it's it's really the country yeah. And so many ways. Though, when I talk to folks and they say, "Well, are you Latino? Are you Hispanic? Are you American? Whatever," I always say, "I'm American first, and I'm a patriot." And uh, because of that, there is this massive opportunity here. Number one, and number two, if we don't tend to it even a little bit, we're all in trouble. This country. Is- in trouble because you know i i always tell you know i like telling folks that the top five states in this country as measured by gdp california texas illinois new york and florida 40 percent of gdp in those five states those five states the largest ethnic group in those five states is the latino community by by a landslide california yeah. 43%, you know, Texas, 40%, Illinois, 20, uh, New York, 20 something, Florida, 20 something larger than any other group, including the African-American group. So when you look at that, these are the innovators. These are the job creators. These are the taxpayers. These are the teachers. These are the doctors. These are, the, Hey, if we're not going to invest in this community and, and ensure they get a proper education and they have opportunities, we're shooting ourselves.
2: Your future is bleak. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree.
1: The country, I mean, we can do all we want in Rhode Island. You know, And I love Rhode Island. We can do all we want in Rhode Island. But if California, Texas, Illinois, New York, Florida, New Jersey, you know, whatever, don't get, you know, don't do what they need to do, we're in trouble as a country. So it's, uh, I I think that that's kind of starting to come out. And to be honest, uh, to me, it's amazing how uh, invisible we are, I think, to the kind of like uh, the mainstream You know, I absolutely. Whether whether it's the media, whether it's the political world, the academic world, the business world, you name it, we we are a many times an afterthought, um, if at all. And it and it's amazing. And you know, you see Joe Biden running for you know president right now, um, and Vice President Biden, and you know he's uh, today I was reading the headlines, and he's thinking, why am I not getting more support from Latinos? You know, and, uh, well, I wonder why. Um, and, and I think that the Latino community is one that, like any other community, uh, needs to feel it's respected. Yeah. It's, it's being asked questions and to understand challenges that we have and that it's being listened to and that we're part of the process. And I think that, you know, um, if one doesn't feel that, you know, writ large, um, I think people are getting tired. And so
2: I, I think and it's... Gonna be that's inclusion. That's, a, that's the main problem. With inclusion. That's inclusion. Right, exactly. That's inclusion. It's not enough to just
1: say, yeah, you're here. It's listen. It, it, it
2: yeah. It, it, todo eso. It, it, yeah. And, and we've talked about in forums and we listen to like it. It's not just a matter of like, here's a seat at the table. Like, okay, yeah. now listen. You know, right. you know, listen to what yeah. I have to say, and really listen and pay attention, and you not know, just like, oh, here's just seat. and then just we, we have right. it at, at right. the end of the table, you know. We and don't patronize, and don't patronize. Do you know, yeah, exactly. it, it's funny that yes, because just today I had a quick a text message from one of our earlier investors. <laughs> he was like, out of the blue, I was like we rarely talk politics, but he's like, hey man, why's you know the Voldemort? gaining with the, the Hispanic community. It's just like, I like, dude, I have no idea. I honestly, it's just unfathomable to me. But here it is. It's just like, yeah. we, you know, the, the vote take it for granted. Yeah. So like, oh, he, he must, you know, if he berates you, you must hate him. Well, it turns out not.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that I don't want to echo what everybody says, that the Hispanic community is not monolithic.
2: Clearly correct. And, and that's One of different it, yeah.
1: groups. The dimensions, the basic ones are different kind of countries of you know uh, where where we've come from. So that's right. One, two is economic levels. Three, educational levels. Four, ge- geographic, located, Five, age. Um, you know, religion, gender, etc. So it's pretty complex. And there's certainly yeah. be pockets there that are going to support you know the current president. Um, look, I support uh, Vice President Biden. And uh, and I'm actively supporting him. Uh, but, you know, I think that we're going to get to a point where uh, mm-hmm. next election or two down the line where there has to be some meaningful inclusion, I think. In, in, and I think the same thing in the financial world, getting back to kind of.
2: <laughs> yeah, to to
1: yeah, yeah. Is on the business side is that. You know, part of Vamos Ventures, so so a few years ago, I, I started Vamos Ventures as a way to combine fund management, investing, strategy, tech entrepreneurship experience, and being a Latino in this country and combining those things. Mm-hmm. And um, I think 10 years ago, it would have not worked, but a few years ago, it was the stars were aligning. And so I started Vamos Ventures as a way to... Uh, do that for myself personally, as a as a professional yeah. opportunity and a personal opportunity to do something meaningful that uh, was relevant now, that may not have been relevant five years ago or ten years ago. and um, and part of what we want to do is say, look, you know ultimately, we want to create wealth in our community. And yes. what we want to see is self-determination. And when a community has self-determination, that, that's when you're free. And that's when you, we do want a political leader or a different, we do want this kind of healthcare. We do want these kinds of policies, this kind of education. We do want, and instead of having somebody tell us, you know, here's what you're yes. getting, and you're going to be happy with it. And, and that's how it is. And so without without wealth and, and power, uh, economic power, and, and I think ultimately that's what drives everything is economic power. Um, without that, I think we're going to be in a tough in a tough
2: situation, you know? I absolutely agree. No, and, Look, and with that in mind, let's, um, let's yeah, do a sorry. quick refill and we going uh-huh. to do a quick pause for cheers and right. for uh, celebrate our sponsors. Those. Okay,
1: <laughs> right. This hour of the Startup Radio Network is supported by Bridges to Change. Bridges to Change's mission is to strengthen individuals and families affected by addictions, mental health, poverty, and homelessness. They use their voice and resources to stand up to all forms of discrimination, mass incarceration, barriers to healthcare, and inequitable economic opportunities. Bridges to Change's goal is to empower people to be self-sufficient and become members of the community, who in turn offer the same opportunities to help others. They strive to have everyone leaving their organization with stable housing, social support, sustainable employment, education, access to healthcare, family engagement, and goals for the future. To get involved, donate, or to get help,
2: make sure to visit wwwbridges Y estamos de regreso con Marcos. Marcos, look, it's a it's a great conversation, and I think you, you know, we all agree. You know, we're talking about g- generational wealth. You know, uh, how do we um, flip the script? We're a 1.3 trillion dollar economy. We've been talking about this for a while. Like, how come if we're a gigantic economic power, we're, like you just said a couple of minutes ago, we're invisible. Why? How could that be?
1: Yeah, well, you, you said two things, Edgar. The, the one piece of it is kind of the economic power and, you know, our purchasing power in this country and so on, and, and how do we flip the script. And the other piece is the invisibility piece. And just, just to go on the first one, just really quickly, is uh, uh, I think there's a lot of views here. My, my view is that to flip the script, uh, it's like a puzzle. There are multiple pieces and you don't put one in place and then put another one in place. You gotta move each one a little bit, a little Mm. bit. Finally, they'll start coming together. Um, Ultimately, ownership of assets and the ability and understanding of investing is gonna be a way of broad wealth creation and economic influence and power for the community. But you don't just do that. You need things in place. You need uh, professors and teachers to teach these things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You need uh, uh, policymakers that um, you know make it advantageous to start businesses and to invest your dollars and to take risks. You know you need folks to ensure that our housing and our healthcare is adequate, so we don't have to worry about can I make it to next week. Instead, you should be worrying about. When I graduate from college, I will do this. And, and that's a very big thing. And so all these pieces have to be there. It's not enough to say, well, should we lend more money? Well, should we have a, you know, a mayor who's Latino or, or Latina? All of these things have to work together. A friend of mine in, in Palo Alto once told me that, uh, who's not Latino, but was working in an environment uh, with a lot of Latino families, uh, working class uh, families, he said, you know, Marcus, the thing that's the most clear to me. Is that everybody here that I'm working with in, in this nonprofit? Um, their decisions, the timing of their decisions, is very different than mine. And, and this guy, friend of mine, who's very successful entrepreneur in technology, and, and, and to his credit, uh, dedicated his life to working at this nonprofit, uh, primarily Latino nonprofit in the, in the Bay. And he said, my decisions are long-term decisions. And I I can afford to think about in two years, I want to do this. And in five years, we'll sell that. And in 10 years, we're going to invest here, et cetera. And these kids and these families, their decisions are day to day. How how am I going to get home today? Yeah. What am I going to eat tonight? How do I pay the rent next week? And when your decisions are dominated by short-term decisions like that, there is no way to invest in long-term. Correct, and and that that is a huge challenge for our community. In any community that's working class and, and mm-hmm. on the poverty line or below, or um, in it's just a simple thing, no. But it's just like, uh, so all these well,
2: but it it, it's, it seems simple, and, and I'm going to tell you because you know we've been actively um, involved also in, in other activities, you know, nonprofit uh, organizing in you know, startup weekends, but also you know working with youth. And it's, it sounds simple, but it's not, you know, again, when you have a situation in, in, in a house where you literally, you just say, I don't know how, if I'm going to eat at home or the kids, you know, this is my last meal, the, the one that I am going to have at, ho- at school. It's like investing that that's just like so uh, unattainable. I mean, it's not even a thought. So how can we, how can we tell these kids? Oh yeah, it, it is doable. When it's like, guy, all I'm trying to do is not to die from starvation tomorrow. Yeah. That like, you know, sounds fantastic. Good. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: You know, this is where I think that, uh, you know, again, it takes various approaches. There's the short term approach and there's a long term approach. And you need both. Um, in the short term approach is how do we safeguard to the extent that we can families and children today uh, and keep them from joining gangs? Or, yeah. or doing other things and ending up in jail, or doing, you, know, you know, for the next couple of years, several years, et cetera, you know, give them basic skills. Can can get them a job? Can we start programs that, you know, uh, socialize or provide better security in the neighborhood? You know, those are kind of short-term things that are very valuable. But that alone is not going to get you to, uh, you know, this kid becoming an entrepreneur and becoming a mm-hmm. you know, philanthropist and an angel investor. That, that may be the long game. That's the long game, right? That's like a generation from now, like 20 years from now. How do we make this guy and this gal's kids, you know, give them a better opportunity so they have, they're able to get out and do these things? So I think both things are, are important. I I was a big brother here in LA at Ramona Gardens, which is one of the projects many years ago. And I had a little brother. And I remember, uh, you know, going over and I remember thinking, those days you know uh you know how do we get these kids to go to college to do well in high school graduate from high school get college prep courses prep for the psat the sat and go to college well after i started to go to his place and pick him up i thought forget about i mean you don't ever want to throw in the towel and for some kids that are very gifted there's going to be opportunities but for a lot of these kids, it's like, oh, my gosh. I, I, he would tell me, Margaret, all I care about is not getting beat up and uh, mom's safe and yeah. my mother's safe. Uh, I don't have time to think about these. So, you know, the the environment that we've created, and I say we, all of us are. As a society, yeah. Uh, and there's the environment in the, in the society we've created. Uh, really has you know uh, wasted a lot of human capital, because amongst these kids and families, there are there is a little Albert Einstein, you know there, there is a little uh, you know other you know, innovators that, that will never that won't get a chance, and uh, but we've created this and um, uh, and it's something we have to deal with and. So so
2: yeah no, it, uh, to, to me it, it, that's exactly it. it's like how do we get the next Mar- Marcos Gonzalez the next Noramai cadena uh, out of California into MIT into Harvard and and you just just miss you know that unpolished gem uh, and get him to flourish like you guys have done
1: yeah you know uh, I, I'm not a I'm not a social <laughs> or policymaker uh, Edgar but all I can say is for me, Uh, it was a series of things. And one of the themes in your podcast with the people that you interview, it's a recurring theme, that that one random thing, almost random, leads to the next and led to the next, and led to the next, etc. And it was these little random things. And if you want to think about it this way, it took 20 accidents to to happen in the right order for this to, to, to result. You know, to have yes, that. and that, that's a very interesting thing to look at. And how do you replicate that? I, I don't know how you replicate, but you know, some of your other speakers talk about teachers and parents and others. And for mm-hmm. me, uh, I've had teachers growing up that for whatever reason took an interest in me, and that made a difference. Making you feel
2: oh, absolutely
1: valued is, is super important. And teachers, you know, the builders of this country, and um. Are completely so undervalued uh and underappreciated and maybe maybe we're gonna have a different perspective after this whole covid you know era um, yes right and um but that's what made a difference for me early on and, and then other things off. i'll just tell a really quick story if you don't mind edgar I'll no, no 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 go ahead this is you how random this is um, when i was in high school i, I went to alhambra high and uh, i was i was taking calculus is a uh, uh, you know, high school was a large public high school, is a large public high school, primarily two groups, Asian and Hispanic. And uh, in my calculus class, there was a gal, um, a Latina and her, her name is Laura. And uh, one day walking out of church, I saw her and her dad and I said, hey, Laura. she said, hey, Marcos. And uh, this is my dad, she said. And he says, oh, are you the boy going to Brown? And I said, yeah. And of course, being a kid in high school, I thought, who's this old guy? And <laughs> i talking to him. So he says, "Whoa, well, when you graduate from Brown, let me know and uh, you can work at IBM. And I said something appropriate. But in the back of my mind, I thought, yeah, right. And I walked away. And uh, anyway, four years later, no Internet. Nobody's recruiting from California and Providence, Rhode Island. I'm stressing because I have a lot of student loans. I don't know what to do. In the middle of the night, I wake up and I think, that guy, the guy I met at church, what was his name? What was her name? He worked at IBM. And I looked high, and low, phone books, anything oh else. Oh my gosh. This guy. I finally find him and I call him at IBM. He answers the phone and he says, hello. And I said, hi, is this uh, Mr. Serrano? And he says, yes. And I said, you may not remember me, but my name is Marcos. And I didn't even finish. And he said, are you the boy that went to Brown? I said, yeah.
2: And he (laughs) said, for a job?
1: (laughs) I said, yes.
2: That's when I'm going, oh, my gosh. And I went in, interviewed and so on. I mean, you're random,
1: completely random. But that was a key moment, uh, a key moment for me and for the career. And that started IBM and business and opened my eyes to a lot of things and uh to mentors to colleagues to you know just the world of business and uh and then that you know led to other things so that was interesting
2: well uh, that is i i love that anecdote because you know we've heard quite a few like that and that, that we just don't think and that's part of what i i believe we need more not only access to capital but access to that mentor access that door that foot on the door yes that yes you know the, the who's the next marcus where i can call, you know the next student can call like oh my gosh marcus uh i would love to to be under your wing give me an opportunity uh yeah get your foot on the door in the vc world
1: yeah you know what's really interesting edgar is that i have run into old high school uh friends uh latino or latina high school friends who in those days were not academic oriented and uh, <laughs> Still not, but, <laughs> and they've had a reasonable, I think went to Cal state maybe, or community college, but their kids, those kids, they're going to Harvard. Oh, wow. They're going, some of them are going to Brown. Um, others are going to Notre Dame. Others are going to, you know, UT Austin. And so it's really, I, I think one of the benefits, even if you're not a uh, you know, your path is not one of these Ivy league paths, you learn a lot and you have a lot to offer your kids and sometimes it takes a generation absolutely yeah and that's okay that's okay not everybody's going to go to stanford uh, yeah. but you but but your kids could you know if you for whatever reason don't want to or something happened or you got work um you know uh, you do it and you 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 do what you can for maybe your kids to have or your nephews or nieces. yes um so i haven't done this in a long time but you know, I used to go back to Brown often to talk to the Latino students there, mostly because I had such a challenging time there being, you know, pretty alone. Mm-hmm. I didn't want anybody else going through that experience. And so I would go back and talk to kids and uh, about anything, but, you know, about business opportunities. So I haven't done it in a while, but uh, even now with Vamos Ventures, I always say, look, being a, an investor at a VC firm, um, has a lot of good sides to it and it has a lot of bad sides to it. And the worst part of it is that you have to say no 95% of the time. Yeah. And that really sucks. I hate doing that because I want I would love to help everybody with a check. But here's what we finally said. We'll do four things for you. If we can't write a check, one for everybody, we recognize you. It's not easy starting a company. You know this Edgar I've done yeah. it too. It is hard. It is hard and you're putting yourself out there and um, I want to make sure that you know that we see you and, and we not only see you, we, we know it's hard and we see you and we're recognizing you. Number two, we'll give you real feedback. If you want it, we'll give you real feedback, honest feedback. Could be wrong, but it's, it's our feedback. But
2: it's feedback. Yeah. But and yeah. it's honest. And it's, honest. And it's, it's honest. honest. Yeah.
1: Number three, if we know anybody in our network that we believe can help you on your journey, we'll make that introduction and we're happy to do it uh and then lastly is you'll have an open door here in six months from now a year from now two years from now come back mm-hmm. tell us how it's going. uh tell us we were wrong you know not to admit. yeah
2: P- prove was like look, be look deal, I'm that back, would be
1: deal. <laughs> yeah i would love that i would love that um but we want to be able to offer something to to everybody that we see and, and surprisingly most people don't don't want the feedback or don't ask for it uh you know uh, but, but you know we try to let people know that if you know if you want it you ask for it and we'll give it to mm-hmm. you we may not be able to do it the next day or, or a week from now but it may take huh. us weeks because things are so crazy but uh we'll, we'll do it um it, i think that's part of the values that we're trying to build it at the firm and that's that we're not just a venture capital firm we're, we're not just investors we are investors but we're not just investors we're part of this community and yeah. we recognize that there are not many and we know the power of recognition feedback uh, consideration listening um, you know it's that's that's probably more helpful in many cases yeah. than dollars so that's what we're trying to do
2: no I, I I really appreciate that that and a part of the honesty because right right after the podcast i'm calling a a fellow uh startup founder that's racing and his text message an hour ago or an hour and a half ago he's Mm -hmm. just like look i had this pitch i thought it was a done deal but the guy was condescending blah 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 he just and it it just went bad so the guy the guy's morals down so like all right Mm -hmm. let's let's talk about it and like you know first of all it's already moralizing when you get a no like you said you know because you're like look you know it's a full-time job to raise capital mm. and to being able to be to, to say to get a lot of no's to get to a yes it, it is hard yeah it, it is really tough but then on top of that to get just like i mean you know just stepped on uh i don't know yeah It's you know
1: edgar the trick uh you, you know this too because uh i don't i don't know this entrepreneur i'm happy to talk to him, him or her and um it is hard to take that.
2: It's hard not to take it personally. Oh, no, 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 no. And, and right? I'm going to interrupt you because what, what, when investors are like, don't take it personally, you cannot say that to me. This is it's like, <laughs> it, it, look, this is my baby. It's like if I introduce right. you to my, my, my baby, oh, look, at you like, oh, that's a fucking ugly thing. Just, of course I'm going to take it personally. It's looking exactly. it my baby. Right, yeah, right. You yeah. can't yeah. say that to, to, an, to an entrepreneur. It, yeah, It is. It is.
1: And it's still hard not take it personally, but what I've, what I've been able to most of the time control now is the emotional dimension of this and, and keeping, even if inside I'm thinking, how dare you, (laughs) you know, (laughs) darn it or much worse language. Um, even if that's what I might be thinking or feeling, you know, um, I worked at a private equity fund, a couple of private equity funds before, uh, Uh, starting almost ventures. And I was always early on one of the younger guys. And so there were senior partners and partners that I worked for and reported to and, and all that. And there is no substitute to working at an investment fund, alternative investment fund and learning from guys, mostly guys who are, you know, have 40 years in the business and have seen everything.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And, uh, I'm very grateful to have had those opportunities. And and one of the things that I learned there was it is a long game. And if you think that you're going to start a fund or get in this business and be successful in a year or two or raise money in a year or two, you're going to go crazy. And not only that, but the people that are going to end up really supporting you, they're going to do it year 10. They're not going to do it right now because this is a long cycle business. And when you raise some money now, uh, you're going to meet a lot of folks that say no to you. But those are the guys and gals who will come in for fun two or three, maybe fun four, right? And if you say something stupid, they'll remember it. <laughs> 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 so, so what you need to say, and I say all the time, I always say, look, this is not the right time. That's okay. I just want you to know who I am. I yeah. want you to know what we're doing. I want you to follow us because I want you to be our anchor LP fund three or four. And, and then it puts things at ease and they're not going to feel pressure. Or I'm going to get the hard sell and whatever. And, and you're, it's okay. And, and I think that at some point uh, another friend of mine told me this and he says, Marcus, when you're fundraising, the first half of your fundraising, you're desperate and, and, and it comes across. Everybody's the same. And then when you finally get some money and things turn the second half of your fundraising, you're confident. and You're like, Hey, this is not for you. It's not for you. But if you want it, yes, you know, and let's do this. I've got time. You know, I've got all day. Yeah. And and he's right. And he's right. And eventually you get to that. Um, yeah. You learn uh, another learning for your aspiring. If there's any aspiring, fun, you know, investors, fund managers in the audience. Uh, and I say this a lot is one of the things that we learned uh, was that uh, you've got to find the investors that all that are already looking for you okay so to to repeat don't look for just investors look for the guys and the gals that already are looking for you and that takes a lot of research and work and so on sometimes you know serendipity but those are the folks that are going to put up the money to get to your first close and and then you go from there but the trick is understanding the lp asset owner world Mm -hmm. of to understand who who is it that's interested in what i'm selling And then the second thing is, is there a market for what I'm selling? And and, uh, maybe there isn't, maybe not now, maybe not yet. Uh, So there's a lot of this that goes on, but I, you know, I wasted a lot of time uh, looking for investors in the wrong places and looking for the wrong kinds of investors and so on. Until finally I said, I, I did what entrepreneurs do. And what I tell entrepreneurs to do, I had to turn to individuals that I already knew were one degree removed from me, and that I knew uh, had the personal wealth and had an affinity to the mission. And those were the folks that little by little, you know, unos centavitos aquí otros centavitos acá, got us to the five million. And that was what we needed to get started, the $5 million close. And so that first close was primarily individuals. Ever since then, it's institutional
2: yeah so so, i mean in 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 essence it's just like a startup you got angels and then you get your 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 next race yeah your VC race.
1: exactly
2: yeah no 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 that 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 i mean all those stories are parallel i wasted my first year creating this pitching to the wrong crowd because i'm not actually i wouldn't i shouldn't say the wrong crowd wrong timing yeah
1: yeah it's it's wrong timing
2: wrong timing yeah
1: Yeah, it's a, uh, but you know, it's um, the the venture capital world is a very interesting world because it's not just the business either. The engine for innovation and wealth creation, and it's also what defines the way we live our lives, work lives and social, personal lives. That's why this area is so important and so critical. That's why it's so important to have Latinos and Latinas involved with it, engaged with it in every area. From, from asset owners, pensions, foundations, yep. and others, to consultants and advisors, to the, you know, uh, the fund of funds that exists out there, to the fund managers, to the entrepreneurs, to the, you know, back office, legal, account, a whole value chain that, you know, feeds this, you know, industry, it's important to be present. Uh, it's happening, but it's, it's not happening fast enough. And so, yes, what we want to do.
2: Yeah, and and that's, that, that. That was a question. How do we accelerate this? Because certainly we have the elements. Like we know why why it's not happening. So how do we make it? Not not just like start moving little by little. How do we accelerate it to to just to catch up to where we should be?
1: Yeah, you you know, I think that uh, I know that uh, I I've heard that there are groups out there that are incubating, uh, much like uh, an accelerator or an incubator studio incubates entrepreneurs and and businesses Uh, there's something similar now for managers fund managers i see okay and um i think that's a really interesting idea i think it's really hard to wake up one morning and say i'm going to start a fund I, i think it's i think it's hard no matter what but i think it's especially hard if you've haven't done it and uh, number one, number two, if you don't have existing relationships with asset owners, um, it's very difficult. It's kind of like waking up one morning and say, "Hey, I've been to the dentist twice a I year." I want to be a dentist all my life. Yeah, I, I want to be a dentist, and uh, I can find people to give me money to start a dentist office.
2: Yeah, not only that, I'm, I want to be a maxillofacial surgeon.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah, you know, so. <laughs> You know, nobody wakes up and says, "I'm going to start practicing law today." Yeah, I haven't gone or to law scratch. school, but I'm going to start practicing law. Um, so, I think that it's possible uh, to wake up one morning and say, "I'm going to be an investor," but uh, but it's really hard, and you really are. You know, it's it's a very difficult thing to do because there is a lot of nuance and technical. Uh, parts to the business. In the moment you take somebody's money, you're no longer an investor. Now you're a fund manager. Mm-hmm. And that yes. comes with a lot of, you know, compliance, legal responsibilities, functional, you know, uh, tasks, and it's a it's a different ball game
2: and, and stress lots of stress stress. i mean
1: yeah you're you're no you know if you want to do if you know uh if if you want if you have your own money and you have a hundred thousand bucks and you want to put ten thousand grand behind ten companies cool do whatever you want you only answer to yourself so i think it's very hard so the idea of a studio or accelerator for managers to provide the the back office and support and do the training and that kind of thing i think that's that's one
2: strategy that I think could be very... That's, I think, I've never thought of it. I've never heard, but I think that's a fantastic idea. I personally think that you guys are absolutely insane. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, just thinking about the, the as a startup founder, you know, the, the least um, likable thing that I like to do is fundraising. And then thinking is like, oh my God, now I got money from somebody else. Like, you know, like now I'm responsible. Uh, so... It's adding stress upon stress and you guys do this every day. That's so that that's one of the parts that I wanted to talk to you. And and recently we spoke to Lisa Feria from Straight Up Capital, who, who is phenomenal, another great story. And I wanted to bring this up because you know we we we, we see the, the, the VC from our lens, you know, from our perspective as a founder. Yeah. That's yeah. another was like, oh, you know, these guys are not writing checks and we bitch them on. And we're like, Wow, ah, you you guys are not doing this. But we don't we haven't heard that perspective. Until until now. And that's why I also wanted to you, for you to be here. I was like, oh, like, hey, people, you know, there's always two sides to that coin. Listen yeah. to what they do. And, you know, the things that we don't like to do that we absolutely detest. Yeah. Uh, this is what you guys are coping with day in and day out.
1: Yeah. It's it's uh, the, the business of being an investor and a fund manager is a hard business. It's, it's not easy. As you grow, uh, it becomes easier. Mm. Because now you outsource a number of things. You have other people internally that are senior, have experience, can help you, you know, with the with the work. But um, but it's still a hard business because then you have to perform, and you have to define processes absolutely and, uh, for making decisions. Um, and so that's a hard thing. It, it's, it's it's I think it's you know compounded when you put on yourself additional responsibilities. That are not business oriented necessarily it's just what what you want to do and if you want if you want to be engaged in a a particular community in this case the latino community and and you have goals and you put metrics around it now you're adding to your job Mm -hmm. and you know there's an old saying that we all know that no good deed goes unpunished yeah right and sometimes you know when you say you're going to do things and you don't quite achieve it or you don't quite do it fast enough or whatever, you get stoned. And, uh, you know, you're like, Oh, I wanted to help, you know, and I should have not said anything. Um, but you know, so I can see from an entrepreneur standpoint, when I was an entrepreneur raising money, it was like, why are they not giving us money? What's, you know, these, these, you know, these venture capitalists. Um, but look, when you're a VC, you have so many, you have so many uh, stakeholders mm-hmm. uh, that you need to be conscious of, and then you have so much strategy that you need to be thoughtful about, a uh, current and kind of forward-looking strategy that you need to be, that today's decisions, you know, have implications on fund two and fund three and potentially other kinds of funds and other business relationships. So, you, so it's not a simple i like it no, no, no. sounds interesting here's a check um so it's a very you know it's it's a complicated business if you're thoughtful about it
2: oh absolutely and and again you know it, it just but I, I said it with utmost respect to you guys i mean it's just like i think you guys are like in a league of your own because you know just being in the middle you, you guys live a little in the middle between the, the investor and the entrepreneur and having to juggle those i mean we can barely juggle our own thing let alone, you know, j- jostle the, the left, the the right, and the left, it, it's just a it's just a different monster. What you guys are dealing with, and and again, yeah. you know, it, it deserves applause. Um, you know, it's mice uh, my... I, I
1: you know, I'm gonna push back on that, Edgar. Although I appreciate you saying that, but uh, you know, it's uh, it's. Look, um, there isn't anything special about any of myself or the colleagues I have that are out there doing their own funds too. It's, you know, we've been somehow in this business and, um, you know, kind of like if you're in the, uh, you know, we said medical, we said dentist. If you grow up in that, if your first job is involved with that, it's a natural thing that you might want to have your own dental office one day. And, And so I think that, uh, we just happen to have had journeys that put us in or near fund management and investing and entrepreneurship and, and financial services and all that. Uh, some of us closer, some of us further, mm. today, but, but all of us have some, something to you know, attached to that. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's, and we're not inventing something either. There's some invent some innovation here and there, but, but the, the VC model is a very standard model. And um, it, you know, uh, there's plenty of places you can go and kind of get. You know, okay, this is how you do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so uh, I want to pull the curtain. I want to pull the curtain back. And, <laughs> you know, this is not like a uh, ancient uh, secret here. This is this is a you know. It's a
2: methodology. On, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's, there's there's two two three things that are really hard about the fund. Management, maybe four. Uh, one is uh, you know fundraising, very hard. Yeah. Uh, second is uh, you know building the operation, and in that I include team, right? And and, and the right team, the right mission, the right incentives, the right operations, you know, etc. It's very critical. Uh, three. The investing and the monitoring and adding value to your portfolio. It's very hard making decisions. You're you're overwhelmed by the number of deals you see. And you've got to figure out how you're going to make decisions, how you're going to do vetting, how you're going to do triage, how you're going to get to the ones you want to do. Uh, and that's a hard thing to do and then to add value. Um, and, and then the last one is the strategy. And that's uh, what should we be doing today that's going to set us up for five years from now or three years from now? Yeah. Who do we partner with on these things? You know, how do we, you know, that kind of piece is more soft, but it's but it's a necessary part of the of the business and you have to do. And so those are kind of like the four pillars that I think are kind of like, if I were gonna say, you know, and, and you gotta kind of figure out which one you're good at mm-hmm. and focus on yep. that. The, the challenge is if you're starting something from scratch, you, you gotta do all of them. And uh, eventually, you realize there's some things you're better at, and some things you're worse at. <laughs> you got to figure out. Okay, like I need the, help.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's how you start forming your team and and on and yeah.
0: No, that, exactly. That, yeah.
2: Again, you know, hats off to to what you guys are doing at Damos Ventures. I I really, you know, appreciate all your efforts because, you know, we've been speaking since last year, you know, about how to, you know, just to foment this um, uh, and make this startup, uh, Latino uh, startup ecosystem bigger and better for everyone here in the U.S. Yeah. And maybe maybe abroad. Well, you
1: know, early on, we talked about Oregon and, um, you know, I feel very... um, fortunate that at a very young age, you know, I left California and the neighborhood and, you know, lived in Providence Then eventually lived in Boston for business school, uh, lived in Mexico, I lived in Buenos Aires for a while, uh, Dallas, New York, uh, Boston again later for the startup, Washington, D.C. for many years. Um, And so I I truly do see the Latino community and the opportunities of the Latino talent you know pool on a national basis and um i think that had i been born and raised and never left los angeles it, it would be it would be a different perspective maybe uh yeah. you know now it's um you know it's really interesting to see the different pockets that are you know growing and and the relationships one can build and leverage in these different places you know to, to help each other so when it comes to oregon i know this podcast is not about oregon but but you're there mm-hmm. and yeah and I really, truly look forward to putting money to work and, our, and leverage our networks to help you and uh, the Latino community there in Oregon to do great work, meaningful work that we can Thank
2: all you. And, 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 you know, it, it'll be with the support of everyone. I mean, n- not a single person is going to be able to do this work alone. But, right, Marcos, right. I, I really appreciate you you being here and the doors open. we would love to, you know, continue this fantastic conversation. Um, you know, hopefully soon we'll get to have you here in person like we promised back in April, yeah. March, April. And, you know, mm-hmm. th- thanks. And just stay safe out in L.A.
1: Yeah, you bet. Edgar, you do the same thing in uh, in Oregon. I'll see you soon. Eh, gracias por todo. Eh, continuamos otro día. Este,
2: claro. Y salud. Aunque
1: no sea el podcast, que sea este eh, es
2: eh, lo que sea. Yes, yes. <risa> bueno, pues salud. Feliz viernes a todos. Latino Founder Hour. Nos despedimos. Nos vemos el próximo viernes. Hasta luego. Perfecto.
1: Gracias, amigo. Chao. You've been listening to the Latino Founder Hour podcast.
0: El programa Latino Founder Hour es grabado en las instalaciones de Netspace en el estudio Bigfoot Podcast en la hermosa ciudad de Portland.